Hello, this is Scotty McCoy. I am the, ulti the author of the Ultimate Friday the 13th trivia book, and I am working on another book titled The Ultimate Slasher Movie Encyclopedia, and I am interviewing the cast and crew of the Friday the 13th franchise, and I currently have on the phone Adam Marcus, who directed Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday. Hi, um, hi Adam, how are you doing? Doing a little good, doing good, uh, just uh, enjoying my day off work, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, the first question I have for you is, uh, what was your inspiration for creating Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday? in 
part one rises up from the from the from the lake. Um, and of course, a lot of people, you know, when the movie first came out, everybody thought maybe that's a dream sequence. Maybe that's just you know like the end of Carrie, you know, where mm-hmm. uh, where Carrie White comes out from her grave to grab Sue. And so when part two happened, and suddenly you've got this adult version of Jason, it's like, wait a minute, these movies only take place a couple months apart. So, okay, how did that little boy from the lake suddenly become this giant Neanderthal character with a sack over his head? (laughs) So my sense was, okay, if we start thinking about who Pamela Voorhees was and what her what she would be willing to do to bring back her Jason. I thought, wouldn't it be great if mom made a deal with the devil? <laughs> and now you've got this creature, which is basically Hell's Assassin. And, you know, it, it's funny, like, everybody always thinks, again, when the movie came out, you know, my film was one of the first movies to really put in pop culture references to other horror films um, really early on. People just didn't do it. Um, John Landis had a couple of those, and I'm a huge fan of John Landis. So uh, I started thinking, well, what if we really kind of populate this movie with other, you know, horror movie culture references, but not just references. I wanted it to be about how do I connect this film with some of my favorite films? How do I create a mythology that can actually interweave into, um, into, movie, into the movie landscape? and into that subculture. So, the reason the Necronomicon is in the Voorhees house, the reason the crate is in the Voorhees house, the reason all of those things, you know, there's all of these sort of collected things in the Voorhees house that are are these, um, these little Easter eggs for the fans, sure, but the Necronomicon specifically is because my feeling was I wanted that book in that house because Pamela Voorhees read from the Book of the Dead. And Jason is ostensibly one of the evil dead. Yeah. So that was, you know, that for me was more inspiration than anything else because I'm a huge evil dead fan, um, especially the original film and the, and, and the sequel. Um, and I, and by the way, you know, K and B had just done Army of Darkness, uh, which I was on set for for a couple of days with the guys. And that's where I got to meet Sam and, and hang out with him, and it's when he allowed me to, to have the Necronomicon for the film. Okay. Um, so, the, so the Evil Dead, the zombie Jason, the mythology part of it was really the inspiration for the movie. It effectively got the mask out of the movie, but it didn't get rid of Jason. And, you know, it's one of those things, you know, my film gets criticized because there's not enough Jason in the movie. By the way... Pound for pound, minute for minute, I have more Jason in my movie than most of the Friday 13th films. That is true. <laughs> um, of, of, of just screen time of Jason, because no one had a final fight like my film had. Oh, of um, I never, no one ever put him mano a mano against anybody. You know, the, the best you've got is, you know, the poor, the poor kid getting his head knocked off in, in part eight. <laughs> um, but it's, it's not a fight, and it's not fun. It, right. it, for me, it's like that's a joke. And I wanted to see Jason, a debilitated Jason, a newly born Jason, reborn Jason, have to have a fist fight with somebody, have to go mano a mano. And and again, especially against this guy who is, in his own way, sort of, you know, the Steven character is really supposed to be representative of the fan base. Right. You know, it's a guy who isn't the strongest guy. It's a guy who, who, 
probably really, really smart and probably watched a lot of horror movies in his basement as a kid. And so Stephen was supposed to represent all of us. He represented me. He represented my friends. Um, so when you count up the number of minutes that Jason is actually on set with the hockey mask, it's, it's you know, we, we actually uh, – there are several of the Friday Thirteenth fans, the Friday Thirteenth movies, where Jason's the you know the lead villain of the movie, um, where we've got more screen time. But more than that, you know, Jason wears a mask, and for me, it's why there's no unmasked Jason in the movie. Because for me, the minute you take the mask off, you show the face of fear, and it's not scary anymore. Right. Every time Jason's mask would come off in one of the Friday Thirteenth movies, I'd be like, "Well, that just looks silly." All right. Yeah. And if you notice, they're all a different look as well. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I don't want, I, I don't want, I didn't want suddenly, I always felt when Jason's mask came off that it was, you know, the, 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 the character in the Goonies. Yeah, that actually makes perfectly good sense because, like, it, it wasn't as scary. I think it was more scary with the mask. Uh, absolutely. So for me, that's why when he started body hopping, when we did the whole body hopping thing, which, by the way, at that point, you know, I, I, Honestly, I can't even remember whether I'd seen The Hidden before I did this movie or after I did this movie. I probably saw it before, and perhaps it was in the back of my mind and the zeitgeist and all of that. But I'm telling you, there was no, like, I know what we'll do. We'll do The Hidden. It just wasn't It wasn't the case. Right. Um, it, the fact that they're similar, the fact that they're pulled from New Line, New Line had no influence on that. They, that wasn't anything. That, but they loved the body hopping idea. Yeah. So did Sean. So did Sean Cunningham. He loved the body hopping. Um, and he, he talks about it now because Sean's very good at kind of dealing with the fans and, oh, no, I don't, I, I, the body hopping. Sean was the producer of the movie. Nothing, nothing happened on that movie without Sean's okay. <laughs> um, and the thing is, the body hopping for me was like, great, he's just wearing a different mask. It's just a flesh version of the hockey mask. Right. Um, and I will tell you, the only thing I would change about my movie, if I were to, if I were to remake that film shot for shot, the change that I would make is that I would have people's faces slowly become hard and start having the holes of a hockey mask. That actually would be pretty cool. see the hockey mask start to emerge. That actually be really cool. Yeah, so that, that would be the change I would make, but... Again, look, you know, the, the movie, I wanted to make something that was unlike the other eight films that you had seen already. Right. I felt like if I do another version of The Wrestler running through the woods, I, I'm sorry, how is that interesting? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, look, I get, look, I get Jason X, you know, we'll put Jason in space, but let's be honest, everybody always makes fun of when these characters go to space because they literally run out of ideas. Where yes. the fuck do we put Jason next? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I just got, and, and Jason X gets more hate than my movie gets. I know, and the reason, and I read about that. The reason why Jason X, why they even thought of doing that movie, mainly was because of running out of ideas. Is because yeah. of of your movie. It's because your movie had Freddy Krueger's glove, and they were trying to get Freddy versus Jason, and they didn't want people to forget about Jason, so they had to basically have a filler so they can so they can get the rights so they can have Freddy versus Jason. So, um, about the, like, going back to the hockey mask, uh, did you personally like the hockey mask yourself? Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I totally did. Here, look, here's the thing. I love those movies. I just did. For me, however, I will tell you, part eight is where I kind of checked out. Yeah. I kind of went, oh, man. 
I agree. By the way, I thought Jason Takes Manhattan was like the smartest idea I'd ever heard in the franchise. I was like, okay, the, the, the character's in New Jersey, right over the, the, the water from, you know, from, uh, from New York. This is a great idea. This yeah. is scary and fun. What happens when you put the baddest guy in the world in the baddest city in the world? Awesome. That is amazing. But, but that's not the movie. Right. The movie is Jason on a boat. Yep. And then Jason ends up in Montreal. <laughs> that is very true. And, it, you know, and yeah. I, by the way, I was, you know, I'm born and raised in New York. I go, uh, guys, I'm sorry. I'm a New Yorker. You're not fooling me with your four shots of Times Square. <laughs> very, it's very not, true. You know, it's, not, it's not fun. And look, again, it was a great idea. I mean, it was so smart. But the movie itself, I just go, it's I was Why just going to say that, like, the, the fact that he's in New York, what the scenes that he is in New York, that was amazing, and it was, a, it was a damn shame that they couldn't have the entire film in New York. It's just, yep. the New York scenes were epic, like, it was definitely, it was great, like, even when he came across the street thugs, and he showed them their mask, and the fact that he, he sees his, his, him as a hockey player on the billboard, like, comedic elements like that about New York. And then yep. it just went I, to hell. I agree. Yeah. So. Dude, look, I, I love the hockey mask. Look, I love the character of Jason. My, my, my feeling was the fans deserved some sort of mythology. Now, look, if you don't like my mythology, cool, I get it. That's fine. Right. But I got to tell you, the shame of the cut of the movie, you know, that, look, and they, they had to cut the movie into a 90 minute film. I totally get it. Yeah. It's a studio decision. And then, of course, the MPAA jumps in and starts ripping the guts out of me, ripping the guts out of people, um, <laughs> yep. which I've never understood, because if you're coming to a Friday 13th movie, what are you coming for? Right. You're coming for the like, death scenes. Yeah. I, I don't... I, I, it's just so dumb. It's so <laughs> dumb. The rating system is so freaking dumb. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Had I been able to tell the story fully that I wanted to tell about the mythology of Jason... I think the fans would have been, the hardcore fans who are just about Jason would have been more forgiving of the movie. Um, and it would have gotten more of my point across about this kind of, this mythology. I agree. So, look, I will tell you this, you know, if you, you know, and again, for the fans who love the hockey mask, um, you know, every time a character was, was, became Jason, every time he body hopped into somebody, Every time they looked in a mirror, there's Kane in the mask in full regalia. Yep. So it's it's always there. It's one of those things that I just go, guys, look, I get, look, for, okay, I understand that you want more hockey masks. Literally, that's what we're talking about, more hockey masks. Right. Because when you start to ask somebody who hates my movie, I go, well, did you like the kills? Oh, yeah, some of the best in the series. Right. Okay. Did you think it was scary? Yeah, absolutely. Fuck yeah. Um... It was an exciting movie, yeah. Did you love when Jason came back at the end? Yeah. Do you like the first ten minutes where we, we sting operation, we blow Jason up? Yeah, man, that was badass. Did you like when Freddy's glove came and grabbed him down to hell? Loved it. Okay, so what is it you didn't like that I didn't have more hockey mask? <laughs> and it's like, guys, so we made an exciting fun, well-acted, and for my money, look, I, I will 
will put my cast in that movie up against any of the Friday Thirteenth movies. I mean, oh, any of course. Of my cast was amazing. Those actors were incredible. My effects are the best in the series. Bob Kurtzman and the guys at KNB, come on. I mean, come on. Yep. And by the way, look, I love Jacob Buechler, and I love the look of, of Jason 7. I do. But my whole thing was, I had this team of artists, like amazing artists. Yes. And I'm not going to tell them, yeah, do what Buechler did in 7. No, man, I'm going to go like, dude, let's create our own vision of this. Uh-huh. Definitely, and you took the ball and you ran with it, and in my opinion, I think you succeeded. Thank you, brother. I, pre- I appreciate nope. that. And no look, problem. the movie's been getting a great resurgence recently, which has been lovely. I've been like seeing those. I've been seeing those posts. <laughs> I've been seeing those posts, and some of the posts are pretty positive, and I'm glad to see that people are starting to change their tune on the film because I yeah. thought it was a phenomenal film. Was I love the hockey mask too, but I believe the body hopping was genius because. It is basically hockey mask going into hockey mask going into hockey mask. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah, that's the idea. Exactly. That's the idea. So, you um, kind of answered this in a way. Um, I personally love the film, and I believe it's one of the best in the franchise. But uh, the film does receive a lot of backlash because of the way yeah. Jason is utilized. Obviously, we discussed that. But uh, yeah. what do you have to say to those quote-unquote haters about why this film is one of the best in the franchise? Yep. <laughs> I will engage people who don't like the film, and I'm not going to call them an idiot. And I'm not going to. Hey, look, I, that's ridiculous. Right. Uh, you know, um, it, it's 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 a stretch to call these movies art, but for the sake of this, let's do so. <laughs> art, you're going to have a different opinion on. There are people who are going to look at you know uh, at a Lichtenstein and go, "That looks like a comic book. What am I looking at? Why is that important?" Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who are going to recognize, you know. Uh, someone like Robert Williams or Banksy and go like, that's genius, where you're going to have people who are purists and go, well, no, that's not Dali, that's not Picasso, that's not Renoir, this is nonsense, this is garbage. For me, look, everybody is allowed their opinion, and God bless, man, I think that's awesome, and I think that's what makes movies interesting. The people who have hardcore hatred about the film for the simple reason that there's not enough Jason in it, they're wrong. I agree. They're actually technically wrong. There's a ton of Jason in my movie. There's more Jason in my movie than in any of the other films. That's just the truth. There's more screen time, whether it be just Jason in his hockey mask or the other versions of Jason. Right. For me, I have to tell you, uh, again, going on with the acting side of it, you know, the cast, every person who became Jason Voorhees in the movie, right. they spent so much time with Kane, learning the way he moves, getting <laughs> all of that stuff right with Kane. Yeah. That, I have to tell you, I mean, for me, there's more Kane in my movie than there is in Part 7, or mm-hmm. Part 8, or Jason X. Because Kane, not only does he appear, you know, <laughs> as Jason, he appears as himself. Yep, the FBI guard. That's Freddy. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and, he, he, you know, he was my stunt coordinator for the whole film. He worked with every single actor every day, getting them to learn the ins- 
encyclopedia of movement that Kane created for that character. So for me, you know, it, 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 people who love Kane and love the Kane movies and Kane's the best Jason, well, there's no better example of that than Jason Goes to Hell because his hand was in everything. He, he, was, he was so an integral part of that movie, not just playing the damn character, but dude, you know how many stunts are in my movie? I mean, yeah. we were shooting, we were shooting a, a ton. I mean, think about the diner scene. I mean, that is a ton of stunts. Pyro, no, no Friday 13th movie has as many guns in it and blowing mm-hmm. people up and shooting shit. I mean, we really went for it in this movie. Right. So, to the people who are the haters, look, what I would recommend they do, and the only thing I would ask of them, watch the movie again. Right. Watch the movie again, and forget that you're watching a quote-unquote Friday 13th film. By the way, the movie never says Friday 13th on it. Oh, that is true. It says Jason goes to hell the final Friday. That's right. Yep. So, watch the film again as its own cultural piece of this jigsaw puzzle. Right. And if you, look, if you hate the acting, if you hate the direction, if you hate the, the action, if you hate all that, great. I totally get it. That's your opinion. I got it. But if your only criticism of the movie is that there's not enough Jason Voorhees, you're really missing the movie we made. Right. You're missing it. And Because that is, it is a Jason Voorhees movie. And quite frankly, it's more Jason than a movie with him simply walking around in a hockey mask. Yep. And the thing is, people, uh, and I don't mean to be me when I say this, but you are right that uh, people have the right to their opinion, but yeah. the thing is, um, people th- don't like your movie, but then they love the original 1980 version, which was a brilliant film, right. but Jason wasn't in it at all, except in flashbacks. Yeah. It was the mom that was the killer, so it's like kind of like yeah. hypocrisy right there, and co- they're contradicting yeah. themselves. There's more Absolutely. Jason in your film than he when he is in the actual films, and then he's a boy that's in the lake in flashback visions from the mother who's the killer. Right. Look here, and again, you know, for some reason, Friday the 13th is treated more like a television series than it is a series of movies. It, it's, it doesn't have to be the same damn thing every time. Exactly. And that's the shame. It's like... You know, horror fans constantly are begging for new stuff. They want new material. They want fresh ideas. They want exciting things. And then, you know, uh, a movie like Jason Goes to Hell comes along. Or let's let's forget about my movie. Look, a movie like The Witch comes out. Yeah. And people just tear it to pieces from the horror standpoint. Not from the critical. In the regular critics, they love that movie. And by yeah. the way, I understand if a slow burn isn't your thing. Got it. But you know what? At some point, people have to start, like, the fans have to have to make a choice one way or the other. Either they want the same damn movie over and over and over and over again, or they want something fresh. They right. want something that's exciting and different and challenges the conventions. Right. Um, look, the truth is, had I made Jason Goes to Hell a year after Scream instead of two years before Scream, dude... We'd be having a totally different conversation right yep. now. <laughs> I agree. Because the fact that the whole audience had suddenly bought into the idea of a meta thing, I mean, look, again, what's been nice about a lot of the, the critical press that's happened about Jason Goes to Hell in the last few years is that people start to recognize, wait a second, this guy was doing Scream two years before Scream. Mm-hmm. I and agree. by the way, I was offered Scream. Were you really? Yes. That's As awesome. a director, I was offered Scream. 
uh, and I had been sent the script, I was going through it, and I was starting to break it down, and they told me, hey, Wes Craven wants to do it. And I was like, dude, if Uncle Wes wants to do it, I God bless. <laughs> I am not challenging that throne at all. Oh, I agree. He's a ve- he's very, very good at what he does, too. Oh, he's amazing. And I, you know, yeah. I've known Wes since I was uh, nine. So, nice. you know, he was, uh, because of Sean and him were partners for so long. Right. Um, and again, he, you know, he's a master, and I would never have even, you know, like, dude, Wes got that job. See ya. But, <laughs> again, there's a reason that they brought what was then called Scary Movie to me. Right. Because Jason Goes to Hell would have the exact same sensibility. Of course, yeah, definitely. And I agree. And I think you would have done an, uh, an amazing job with Scream. No problem. No problem. So, um, everybody knows that, like, Jason gets killed at the very beginning of the film before, of course, resurrecting and body hopping and all that. So, what was the reasoning behind killing Jason off in the very beginning? Um, The reasoning behind it, well, there was two, it was was double fold. Um, Because we had this body hopping moving happening, the body hopping idea happening, um, I had to somehow get Jason out of his body. So that was the first idea. But for me, what I want to do with the opening of the film, um, the first 10 minutes of that movie is all about, okay, I want to play against every single expectation the audience has ever had about these movies. So we're going to have a girl alone go to a cabin in the woods. Of course, the minute she gets there, the lights go out. She's got to change the light bulb. Where would the light bulb be? Oh, in a shack outside <laughs> in the creepy area behind the house. Uh, I'm going to have her change that out by herself. I'm going to have her then, oh, she's sweaty and gross, go up for a shower. She goes for a shower. She drops her bag off the sink. She leans down when she pops back up. Of course, we're expecting that Jason's going to be behind her in the mirror. Then she takes the shower. Then the lights go out again. It was basically, how can I make my audience relive every moment that they've had to live through in all of these movies in a tiny microcosm, Um, (laughs) constantly tipping my hat to all of the other films that preceded this, and then reveal, wait a second, this ain't your daddy's Friday the 13th movie. And the idea for me was like, here's... I wanted to take the old, I wanted to take what had happened previously, put it into a 10-minute sequence, and then make you go, oh shit, did they just blow up Jason Voorhees? (laughs) The the thought process behind the the sting operation was that the first moment I got to to working on the movie, I went back and rewatched every one of the films, and I counted up body count. And at that point, no one had done that. There was, you know, a Fangoria, I think, might have at some point. Yeah. But no, there was no internet. So I wrote down every kill, and I went, okay, so let me get this straight. In a tiny three-mile area of New Jersey, forget about when he goes to New York, this guy is responsible for close to 100 murders that we've seen in these movies. Mm-hmm. So a hundred people have been murdered inside of a very tiny period of time. Yeah. Um, the federales will come in and deal with that. Like, that's not a local issue anymore. That is one of the worst serial killers in the history of the United States <laughs> of America, and the people who come in then are the feds. 
So for me, the opening of the film had to be the FBI because I'm like, okay, can we stop acting like morons? And can we start t- taking this franchise into the real world? Because I'm sorry, I don't find these movies scary when they're in Narnia. Yeah. They have to be part of our culture. Well, our culture, if there's a serial killer doing that kind of damage, look, Silence of the Lambs had come out just a couple of years previous to my film. And I worked on Silence of the Lambs when I lived in New York. And that movie is still, look, I always call that movie a horror movie. A lot of people call it a a thriller. Yeah. No, Hannibal Lecter is a monster. He's not a human being. No one can do what he does in that birdcage in a cathedral scene. Right. um, Where he hangs the cop in three and a half seconds rips his face off, wears his face, it's all bullshit. But here's the thing, it's an incredible piece of art, it's an amazing film, it's a horror movie, through and through. A horror movie won the top five Academy Awards that year. One of the only films to ever do it, and it was a horror movie. But here's the thing, that movie's about the feds. That movie is about when serial killers become serial killers, the feds come in. So my immediate thought was, great, we're going to treat this movie with the same care and respect that someone who makes Silence of the Lambs does. Yeah. So the reason for that, and by the way, the reason why it was a girl and she was an agent and all of that was totally a tip of the hat to Clarice Starling. <laughs> you know, it was like, yep. I, want, I want a final girl to be at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. To take Jason down. Right. You know, so yep. that was, the, that was the, the reasoning for the opening of the film. Right, and Elizabeth Marcus was the character's name. Julie Michaels, I believe, played her. Yeah. Um, I actually yeah. reached out to her, and she agreed to have an interview with me. She gave me her, in- her email address, and I just emailed her this morning. Dude, she's she's not only is she just a terrific actor, and she's she's a brilliant stunt woman, which is why she was hired for my film. Right. Um, I met her really about the stunts, and then discovered like this girl can act, and she's really she's amazing. Yeah, I have to tell you, dude. Okay, true story. This is wild. So we're doing the scene um, where she's running through the woods. Right. Right? And uh, as she's running through the woods, um, she uh, she was wearing these little booties, right? These, right. Little, these little booty things. Well, at some point, the booties were not working for her. And the cinematographer said, I can see them at one point. And she's like, look, I'll take the booties off for, for a run. It should be fine. And we cleared space and everything. So she does the run, right? Mm-hmm. Looks great. Cinematographer needs to go again, and I walk over, and I suddenly see she's got a bloody footprint behind her. Huh. And I said, Julie, sit on the stump, please. She's like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. I said, sit on the stump. There was a little stump there. And I checked her feet, and she had she had literally torn up her feet. Oh, my God. To do the shot. Right. Right. And there's a photograph, actually, of I, I lifted her off the stump in my arms, and I walked her off set. Hmm. have her taken care of and then we we bandaged her feet and she wore the shoes and she was fine but she was willing to go that far julie michaels is a badass (laughs) she's a badass i'm definitely looking Um, forward to interviewing her now she's amazing dude she's amazing and and just a lovely sweet very caring woman she's true i'm i'm i couldn't be a bigger fan she's amazing that's great so um There is a lot of references to other horror um, genres, as we already discussed, um, especially right. with the ending with Freddy Krueger's glove. So what yeah. was your original purpose of including Freddy's glove <laughs> at the end of the film? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, a lot of people get this twisted, and in fact, there was, a, there was a legal case at one point where some guy tried to say that uh, we stole this idea from him, a guy that <laughs> I'd never met. 
basically was saying that the new line executives, uh, you know, stole this idea from a guy. Um, I had to actually write a deposition uh, against what this guy said, and, and New Line won the case, thank goodness, because it was nonsense. Right. But the, the concept behind Freddy was simply this. So we'd had all these other references, right, in the movie. Right. And, uh, and I, I actually had created every reference in the film before the Freddy reference came up. We're talking about for screenplay, or even for the script. Right. So I am in my apartment with my, my writing partner and uh, a guy named Dean Lauren um, and Noel Cunningham. The three of us lived together in Venice. Right. And uh, they were, you know, getting buzzed. Um, I, I don't drink or smoke, so, so I was not. But, uh, <laughs> but, I'm, uh, but I'm going through my references, and I kept going, guys, I want more stuff in the movie. I want more, like, more kind of, like, you know, fun things for the fans. And, and suddenly I went, wait a second, wait a second. We're sending Jason to hell at the end of the movie. So, Freddy had just died in Freddy's Dead. Right. Um, I said, doesn't New Line own Freddy outright? And they were all like, fuck, I think he does. I think they do. So I called uh, Mike DeLuca and Mark Rodesky, who are my two executives at, at New Line, both amazing guys. And, uh, and I asked, I'm like, guys, um, you guys own Freddy outright, right? They, and it was hilarious because both of them were like, yeah, why? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and I tell them what I want at the end of the movie to be. These guys almost wet themselves and they were like, you got it. You got it. No problem. <laughs> uh, so I said, look, I, you know, I'd really like to have just his glove and his laugh. If I can get both those things, then I, then I can make the ending work. And literally they could not have shipped me the hand the glove faster <laughs> so the reasoning behind it was purely a story reason it was not to set up Freddy versus Jason that wasn't the thinking the minute that we did our first screening of the movie and the glove reached out and pulled down the mask the audience leapt to their feet this is just a regular screening of the movie this is a test screening right. they leapt to their feet and I don't know if I've ever seen film executives more happy in my life Oh, I, I mean, these guys were smiling so big. I mean, it was because un- they knew we got we got another franchise at it. Mm-hmm. So, but the impetus behind it was purely because Freddy's in hell, Jason's going to hell. Who better to drag Jason to hell than Freddy? I agree. Two icons, two major slashers that are both yes. legendary, all in one yep. all in one film. It's amazing. That's great. So, uh, what was it like having Kane Hodder play Jason? And he didn't even just play Jason, but how was he the like just being there working as Jason? He was amazing. He was amazing. Look, here's the thing about Kane. Kane takes this uh, as seriously as a you know a British trained actor uh, doing Shakespeare. I'm not <laughs> kidding around. I mean, that, there's no hyperbole in that. That is how Kane takes his work. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I'll tell you, I mean, his face, my favorite part about Kane, beyond the fact that he was unbelievable professional, did an amazing job with our stunt work, um, and was so good at talking with the rest of the cast in how to take on his mannerisms when they became Jason. Beyond that, my favorite thing about Kane, uh, you know, my brother Kip is in the movie, and, and as I mentioned before, my, my best friend Dean Laurie, who wrote the film, we wrote the film together, right. um, the two of them are both pretty um, easy to scare. Let's put it that way. Kane, uh, there was a, uh, 
the exploding body that we had obtained, there was the, you know there was that exploding body that, right. uh, that we used um, that KMB created. That exploding body was on set almost the entire shoot. Hmm. So here's the thing: Kane would sometimes stand in the exact position when he's in full regalia. He'd stand in the exact position of the exploding body, which we all passed every day, right? Right. So he would stand stock still, like he was that body. <laughs> and when Kane, when when Dean or Kip would walk by, he would leap out at them. I, I am telling you, he did it maybe twenty times to each one of these guys. It never got old. Right. It was funny every damn time. <laughs> That's it great. It was amazing. And by the way, the reason, I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you have, the, the, the headshot of mine from the film that the, that, the, that New Line ordered where I'm standing with the Bugs Bunny shirt. And yes. With the, with the machete. That came about because Kane tried to pull the same thing on me <laughs> and he left at me. And I simply just walked past him. And the, I mean, and the crew broke up. Like, it was freaking hilarious because I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, Kane. All right, good. <laughs> oh, you're terrified. Um, and that's when the set photographer is like, I have a great idea for a photograph of you and Kane. <laughs> so that's where that shot came from. Nice. Was that, that he, he tried desperately to scare me, and it wasn't, wasn't playing. Right. And the thing about Kane, like, even after all these years of him playing Jason Voorhees, he's still this convention. He still goes in costume. He still, he, like, cuts oh, the yeah. anniversary cake with the machete as Jason. Like, he's just, he's, a, I heard, like, my friend, some of my friends met him, and they said he's probably one of the nicest people they've ever met. He loves interacting with the fans. He loves putting them in chokehold while doing a pose. He's, he's, oh, yeah. he's great. Dude, you know what? The, the, I'll tell you the, mo the, the, the signature thing about Kane Otter, and this truly will, will give you everything you need to know about the man. So, um, you know that Kane is burned on a tremendous amount of his body. It's like 75 80%. Yes. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable the amount of burns he has. Um, and Kane had gotten this in, he was doing a TV movie where he had to do a full burn. And hmm. what's horrible is that even, the, the, I mean, the guy was in the hospital for, you know, for the better part of a year wow. because of this. Um, they didn't even use the shot where he went into flames in the movie. Like, wow. they, they cut the shot. I, I, I'm like, That's oh my insane. god. Now, here's the thing. So, my cinematographer, Bill Dill, brilliant, brilliant guy. Bill had his son, Elliot, on set. Right. Now, Elliot was three at the time. Right. But he was really tall. Okay, Bill and, and his, and his uh, former wife, Edna, the two of them were both very tall people. Okay. So, Elliot w looked like he was five or six, but he was three. Okay? Right. So... We're on the last day of the show, and Kane is in the full makeup, and I'm telling you, Elliot was not afraid. This three-year-old <laughs> was not afraid of the actual version of Jason, of Jason, right? Wow. Kane took his, his mask off, took his, started taking the body, the, the body cast off, and, dude, there was Kane's real skin, which is, you know, burnt. Severely. Right. And this kid became terrified. He <laughs> was actually frightened.
By the time Cain was done with this 10 minutes with this child, this child was totally unafraid. Wow. And completely empathetic to something this kid had never experienced before. That's awesome. I got to tell you, that it was the last day of shooting, but I remember thinking, like, forget what an incredible performer this guy is. Forget how good he is on set, how great a stunt person he is, how great a stunt coordinator is. Forget all that. Right. The thing about Kane that Kane is a bitch. Kane is a good man. Right. And I gotta tell you, man, that that to me is more rare than being professional, all that other stuff. When you come across somebody with a heart of gold mm-hmm. who at the drop of a dime can play this monster, mm-hmm. um, for me it's what puts Kane in a different league and puts him in a different league as far as the people who played monsters. I put Kane up alongside Boris Karloff. Wow. I put Kane in that echelon because Kane is a really good man. Right. Do you still talk to Kane? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We just saw each other at uh, Monster Palooza about uh, three months ago. Nice. Monster. I sent him. An, uh, he's maxed out on Facebook, which I find stupid that you have to have that. There's a certain amount of friends you can have on Facebook, but I, I regress. <laughs> um, but I did message him. I don't know if he saw because I know how busy he is. But if you can ask him if he would be willing to do an interview with me, even if it is me giving you a list of the questions that you hand over to him and he can send it back to me. That right, would be, ab- right. even if I'll, he doesn't have time to do a phone interview dude, or anything. I'll throw, him an e- I'll throw him an email. Awesome. Uh, and what about Sean Cunningham? Do you still talk to him? I really don't. Um, okay. I, I, I gotta tell you, look, and, and uh, you know, nothing negative about Sean, um, but, uh, and, and this is kind of off the record, so. Yeah, I won't put, I won't publish this or anything. Writing. Yeah. The what? I won't put this on the book or anything, no. Okay, thank you. I appreciate no it. No problem. Um, Because I, I uh, interviewed Victor Miller actually, he was my first, my first or second interview I had for my book, and he was, I thought he was a really nice guy, and he spoke about it a little bit, and the way he seemed, it didn't seem like it was all Victor's fault. No, it's really not. It's, it's really <laughs> not. Um, and Victor is a really good guy. I've known Victor again since I was nine years old. So, right. Um, Victor's a good dude, and uh, you know, uh, again, there, there are certain people who treat 
treat writers a certain way in our industry. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little despicable. Right. So, you know, writers, again, I'll... writers are the people. Without writers, there's no movies. Of course. No. So again, off the um, record, do you I'm, think it would be worth interviewing Sean Cunningham or no? What? I missed that. I'm sorry. Um, do you think it would be, off the record, of course, do you think it would be worth interviewing Sean Cunningham if I ever got in touch with him or no? I, I, I'm, I'm still, for some reason, I'm not hearing your question. Um, do, do you think it would be, uh, like, again, off the record, do you think it would be um, worth for me to interview Sean Cunningham or do you think I should just let that yeah. go? Sean's idea. That's Kim. Yeah. That's Kim. Agreed. You know? Right. I came up with a way to get it out of there. That's it. <laughs> so how was the demon that was used for the body hopping, how was that uh, created? Um, do you mean the full-size demon, the little demon, or just the um, idea of the demon? The, the one that goes into body to body, because I'm actually getting to the, uh, and the big demon later. <laughs> Wow. How dark this was. 
so what I settled for was I was like, look, I, I want to freak the audience out. I don't want it just to be that when you hear the music and the guys in the woods, you're going to be scared. Right. So here's the deal. Um, part of the part of my, my, my mission with the movie was I felt like the films had been all female nudity, no male nudity, and I felt bad for the girls that were going to the movie, which, by the way, made up more of our, our audience at that time. Right. Teenage girls were our biggest audience for these movies. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, why don't we have a couple good-looking guys get naked? <laughs> so I had Michael Silver and I had uh, Jonathan Penner in there. Um, and then I was like, you know, why don't we really freak people out? And the next thing you know, I got Andy Block, who was in his 40s, strapped to a table with his legs up in stirrups, naked, <laughs> getting the shave down from Richard Gant. Yep. And then, you know, the kiss of life. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is then Andy Block to, uh, to, uh, to Stephen Culp. Right. And again, the concept was, okay... I want something that feels kind of weirdly homoerotic. Yeah. Um, because remember, at the time, again, we're talking, this is 1993, dude. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't in movies. Right. Homosexuality was wasn't even. Right. And even homosexuality wasn't even widely accepted at the time. Exactly. And look, I, you know, again, I born and raised in New York. I had a ton of friends um, in the city when I was in college in yeah. the late 80s where, you know, a lot of my friends died of AIDS. Um, I saw a lot of their pain and their struggle, and I kind of went, you know what? I'm going to put this in people's faces. Like, I'm going to make them go, yeah, this exists. Yeah, get get into this. Get used to this. This is happening, guys. Right. And so for me, it was a way to take what is primarily a straight audience (laughs) uh, who love these movies and make them go, oh, jeez, and throw them a little bit. So that was part of the impetus behind the kiss and the demon going from, you know, from person to person. What I loved and what, you know, look, Bob Kurtzman, who is still a partner of mine, who is still a guy, he does all of my movies. Right. Um, we just did a film together, literally just finished a film together. Nice. Um, Bob, uh, you know, he, he and I came up with the whole bladder idea of the throat bulging so that you saw something really huge passing between the two heads. Right. Um, I didn't want to see the thing between their mouths yet. I just wanted it to be more about what happens, you know, in the throat. Right. When when the demon came about, the demon actually the first images of the demon uh, were done by a guy named Jason Bacutus. Jason was um uh hang on a second. Okay. Hang on one second. No problem. While you're doing that, I'm going to plug in my laptop. (laughs) There we go. So, uh, Jason Bacutis did some initial drawings. This is even before K&B got involved, uh, just for me. Um, And then uh, John Bisson, I believe, is the one who did the the, the final renderings for the creature over at K&B Studios. Um, and then Bob Kurtzman and his team, all that, Howard Berger did a ton of the sculpting for us on that, Ron Pipes, I mean, like, amazing group of guys. Right. Um, 
uh, Brian Ray actually was very instrumental as well, as was Bill Hunt. Those That was like my big team. And these guys, like, they killed it on the sculpting and creating this creature. But the other thing was, for the big, for the big demon, um, we, uh, we actually hired a performer who was an amputee. Nice. He did not have his legs. Wow. Um, and I gotta tell you, man, like, that was, uh, that's probably one of the scariest things I've ever seen happen on a set of mine, because they didn't let me see the guy until he was in full costume. Right. They just had the demon come running at me on the floor, come skittering at me. I was like, oh, shit. I mean, it was like... <laughs> I mean, the thing was so insanely impressive in person. Right. And again, it's a, sh it's a shame like the fans never really got to see it. They got to see photographs of it, but they never saw the footage of it, which is a shame. Yeah. Like, Dude, it was cool. I mean, it was <laughs> Right, so... I mean, um... And the reason, the reason it got cut... Um... Sean Cunningham uh, demanded that we do a shot where the little demon went literally inside Diana's body. Yes. And I remember her so, talking about that, saying that she wasn't even approached about that scene being inserted. No, because it wasn't in there. It was not in the script. It was not in anything. It wasn't right. a scene. It, wasn't, it didn't exist. Right. That happened after we had shot the whole movie, we were doing reshoots, and Sean was like, I don't think the audience is going to get what happens downstairs with the, with the big demon in the body. Right. And I was like, but the, it's been happening the whole movie, Sean. Like, the, the big demon is just, you know, it's it's no different than what, what Richard Gant was, what, what uh, Andy Block was, what Stephen Culp was. Right. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't get it. And he was like, I think the audience is going to be lost. And cut to, that's um, the head of our costume department is the one inside Diana's huh. costume for that shot. Right. So, no, Aaron did not know that. But by the way, again, it wasn't even, it wasn't in my script. It wasn't, it, it wasn't part of the movie. Right. It just was inserted during reshoots, last minute yeah. decision. still talk to Erin Gray? Oh, yeah. Would you be able to ask her also for an interview for me? <laughs> I'll, I'll, send her, I'll send her a message. Thank you, you so much. Me. I'm trying to make this book as amazing as possible. I'm trying to get as much I, I cast. Totally understand. <laughs> I totally understand. Thank you very much. <laughs> you got it. So, um, how did, like, when uh, um, the coroner, when he was uh, eating the possessed heart, um, how, what was the heart actually made of? Because I heard stories, but I want to hear from the director, how this heart was actually created. Okay, here's exactly what it was made of. The heart was made of gelatin, okay? It was, yep. a, it was a, a, you know, harder than jello, but a gelatin mass that was edible. Okay. Um, inside the, the heart was a fruit cocktail and carousel of blood that had been tinted black. Wow, that's pretty, pretty wild. That's pretty cool. It was, it was amazing, and I, I will say, I mean, Richard Gant, God bless that guy. I mean, he ate that heart like nobody's business, and it was disgusting. I mean, it was just like, it was like a big 
I think I would just throw up. Right. He and did amazing because it came off well in the film, too. Thank you. No Thanks, problem. Man. Yeah, no, he, Richard did an amazing job, and it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great, I love that moment. I love that moment. Right. Is that the point that, that, I'm very good at watching Blood and Guts and that in horror films, but that scene, I have to turn my head every time because it looks so real, so legitimate. Dude, dude in the first screening, in the very first test screening, guy threw up in the third round. Wow. <laughs> threw up right then. Just lost his cookie. <laughs> and again, and again, I don't know if I've ever been so proud. I agree. I mean, it's... I'm it's, like, boom. It's that's, that's what I want to see happen. That's exactly. Awesome. It, it just shows that you did great. you did what had to be done, and you did your job, and you did it correctly. You, did it the, you made it look so real. That's what... The, nobody's going to want to go to a film and see him eat a heart, and the heart look not like a heart. It, wanted, it, wanted, it has to look legitimate. It's a movie. I mean, and the fact that you made it look legitimate and somebody threw up from it and the fact that I can't even watch it and I'm big in that, like, watching, heart, you know, Blood and Guts and that is the yeah, fact yeah. that you made it work. Hello. Yeah? Hello. Yeah? Oh, there you are. Oh. I lost you for a second. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was saying that the fact that um, even somebody threw up their lunch or I can't even yeah. watch it and I'm... I'm not easily squirmish with those type of things in movies. The fact that you made it look so real and that people can actually react that way too, that shows you did your job the proper way. Thanks, brother. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I have two more questions for you, though. One is, um, how was the ending scene with Jason when he was being dragged to hell? How was that created? Was that the amputee part? No, 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 no. Um, the, uh, the part where, where Jason's being dragged to hell, we actually... Um, <laughs> There's a great photograph. I think I think it might be on my Facebook page. You're more than welcome to it. Okay. Um, it's a great photo of uh, Greg Nicotero and I. Okay. Both dressed. It, it, uh, we're both dressed in these black kind of neoprene suits <laughs> with the giant uh, dirt hands. We both have these dirt hands on. Okay. Um, I've got like a mask over my face, um, but you'll you'll still see my eyes. And it's Greg and I. Uh, like right next to John LeMay, pulling him into the ground. We right. built a set. We built a fake set um, that had a that had a, an, an opening in the center of the set that literally all of these hands could come out and grab onto John and onto Kane and drag him into hell. Right. So we actually just had a bunch of performers. I think there were like six of us. Ultimately, they were in the suits. I put on one of the suits simply because I knew exactly the way I wanted him to be dragged. So I was sort of the lead grabber to, to pull him down. Right. Um, and in fact, there's one shot in the movie that we kept in the movie just because it was hilarious, where Greg Nicotero is grabbing John's ass and I'm grabbing his crotch. And it's literally still in the movie. <laughs> I never um, really noticed that, so I'm going to go back and look into that. Up that day to drag him to hell. Um, <laughs> But, uh, no, dude, we, we, it was all practical effects. There were some miniatures that were done that never made it into the movie. Okay. Um, it just didn't look right. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, man, that was all practical effects. That was all done just, you know, again, pre-CGI. Uh, we had a great guy, uh, this guy, Al Magliacetti, who, uh, oh, man, he killed it for us on the effects area for the visual effects. Nice. And he had to rotoscope everything in. He's the one who created the magic dagger. Um, the lightning in the sky when the big fight happens. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the knife going into Kane's body. Um, I mean, really, like, right. did incredible work. And this is pre-CGI days. Right. So, you know, it was all hand-drawn. It was extraordinary. Right. So uh, the last question I have for you um, is more of yeah. a personal related outside of Friday the 13th. Um, 
tell us about any current films or projects you're working on. Um, and it is uh, ostensibly 
what happens when you show up to your family's Christmas Eve party and for some reason everybody starts to say what they actually want to say to their family members. Right. And then what happens if you start doing the things you'd like to do to your family members? Right. And it's basically this night of hell <laughs> with this very rich family from California who, uh, it's, it's, it's um, August S.H. County with knives. Wow. So, um, so that's the first one out the gate from, from Skeleton Crew. Um, we are, we have two new TV series that are happening. I can't really say the specifics on that yet. That's fine. Uh, we have, uh, a comedy special that I just directed and cut for, um, I don't know if you know this guy, Drew Lynch, the comic. Sounds familiar. He, if you ever, if, if you ever watch, um, America's Got Talent, a year and a half ago, he was the second person. He, he came in second. For oh, America's okay. Yes, comedy. yes. He's a stuttering comic. Yeah. So, uh, Drew has been a student of mine for eight years now. Oh. Um, he's in Secret Santa, he's one of the leads, and, uh, Drew is, uh, uh, he just did this, his first hour-long comedy special, uh, that Howie Mandel introduces, and actually he, he's the presenter of the show, right. uh, that our company produced, and, um, so that'll be coming out in August. That's great. Um, yeah, so, and we've got four movies shooting, uh, in the, uh, second half of this year and first quarter of, of 18, so... Okay. We are, uh, we have become a fully functioning, um, kind of mini studio. Uh, That's pretty that cool. It, 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 dude, it's the most exciting, it's the best time I've had since I made Jason Ghost Salad. It's, it's, That's great. It's awesome. And, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're just supporting mm. a lot of new visions, a lot of new creators. Right. Um, you know, guys like John Esposito, I'm sure you know John, yes. uh, who wrote, uh, Graveyard Shift and yep. produced, uh, from Dust Dawn. He's going to be directing his first feature for, uh, nice. for us. Bob Kurtzman is directing a film called The Family, which is uh, kind of a um, Manson-y kind of, of movie um, that he's going to be directing. I mean, we, we've just got this incredible lineup of brilliant artists great. who are going to get a chance to make great movies. And uh, I'm just going to throw my name out there, but if you need a writer... <laughs> awesome. Awesome, you, dude. No, always good to talk about that. Yeah. Definitely, because I, I, I'll be honest, I'm a full-time, I work full-time currently as a web developer, and I love it. I went to school for about six years for it, but I, like after I just got my degree, and I just got it recently, and it's at the uh -huh. point that, like, damn it, I wish I went for journalism. I wish I could be a screenwriter or any type of writer at that point, because I love writing, and I realized a little too late after I graduated college, and it's like, I don't want to go back to school for journalism now. You know what I mean? It's like I already went for six years. Why do I want to go for another four right. at that right. point? So, I mean, if you yeah. do need another writer at all, I mean, I'm, I'll am i just throw my name out there. I'm, I would love to awesome. do it. Awesome, dude. Good to know. That's great. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure talking to you, and I learned so much about the franchise that I didn't even know, and I know a lot about the franchise itself. So it was really great talking to you and interviewing you and having you a part of my book. Not a problem. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Not a problem. I definitely look forward to hearing and see what Kane says. It would, it would be more than an honor to interview him. I mean, I heard so many awesome. nice things. I'll definitely, I will put out the word to him and Aaron. Thank you. And tell, tell them if they are not free, because I know that, I definitely know Kane is very busy. If they're not free, that if yeah. they just want, um, want me to send them a, a list of the questions, and they could just fill them out and send them back to me, that's perfectly fine, too. Totally. Thank you very much. You got it, brother. All right. Yep, same to All you. Right. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Pretty cool.